This morning I want to continue to explore really, really together uh, the theme that I started with uh, two weeks ago, which is the theme of um, bringing our practice into situations where there, what, where there might be what we call conflict. I'm going to talk about the meaning of conflict just in a moment. And so it's really one of the ways that we can bring what for many of us starts as an inner practice into very important situations in our lives. And I should say right away that by conflict, I'm not meaning a situation that necessarily has hostility or aggression or even negativity, that it can be helpful to reframe conflict as the existence of a difference. A difference between views, a difference between needs. I can have a conflict of, should I uh, take the afternoon off or should I catch up on my work duties? That can appear as a conflict. It's a difference, right? We have to make a choice. It can be an inner conflict. Should I stay in this relationship or not? Can be an inner conflict. Should I stay in this job? Should I take a more expensive vacation or stay at home uh, and maybe do uh, a series of day trips, right? And it could, be, could relate to different needs related to finances. And as well, there can be uh, larger conflicts in a given society. And what I'm going to be pointing to, and this continues where we were last time, is that most of us have a lot of conditioning around the theme of conflict that makes it hard for us to approach conflicts in a wise way. And we'll be exploring what some of that conditioning is. And further, I'll suggest that the resources of our meditation are very, very valuable resources for working with conflicts. And also that we need some other resources, some other perspectives that we can bring in, some other practices. What this is for me, what this is all pointing to is a way of uh, approaching conflict that brings together inner resources, outer perspectives, interpersonal practices in a way which points to a very uh, rich uh, way to approach conflicts, which I think is crucial for our world. And, you know, I, I co-taught a, a several-day training on conflict, and we concluded that this was at least like an eight-month curriculum, <laughs> right? There are a lot of different components, and that it really, ideally, we would actually train in a number of these areas, over time, keep the perspective. And I think about that sometimes in terms of maybe organizing that training, you know, because a lot of this can, can take time, but it's deeply needed in our culture. It's deeply, deeply needed in our world. We see evidence of unskillful ways to work with conflict all the time. Sometimes it's called the morning news. Right, and uh, partly I was motivated uh, to focus on this topic, as those who were here last time know, because I just returned about two weeks ago from almost a month in the Middle East. And I was in Israel, also made a trip to the West Bank. I've been sometimes joking I was able to go because I wasn't a member of the U.S. Congress. <laughs> uh, and didn't appear on their radar. Um, but certainly a major unresolved conflict there, which I you know, saw evidence of as my third time in the West Bank and, uh, and so forth. And uh, also we have many major unresolved conflicts in our society and in the world, obviously. Um, and we can frame them in different ways, you know, whether we talk about climate disruption or racism or economic inequality or gender inequality or 
you know, we could go down a list, right? Uh, and so what I'm going to suggest is that these, uh, this uh, sort of vision of a skillful way of bringing together inner capacities with outer perspectives on conflicts is deeply needed in our world and that the understandings and the tools, the practices are relevant for any level of conflict from in, uh, what we might call inner conflicts. You know, should I stay in this relationship or not? Or, you know, could be very simple. Should I paint the house purple? <laughs> I'm seeing some head shake. <laughs> or, or should I paint it more in conformity with, you know, like white or something, like the way some of the other houses are. Uh, but all the way to interpersonal conflicts and to conflicts in the community or in the larger society. What I'm going to suggest is that the principles are the same. That's what I found, that the core principles and capacities are the same. They relate to having inner capacities to work with uh, difficult emotions, look at attachment to views, um, work with... uh, emotions like anger, despair, sadness. Uh, Our meditative practice gives us very valuable ways to work with all of that. And yet we also need to develop what we might call more interpersonal practices of empathy, of compassion, of ways of, you know, again, ways of uh, connecting with others in in those ways. And we also need this larger perspective on conflict, which, I'll, which will be one of the themes I bring out today, which is, which, which is related to the handout that I gave out. So I'm going to primarily review some of where we were and then and bring in examples that we might have from our own conflicts. Try to have this be both an orientation, but also be practical. So a starting point is just seeing even what the connotations are for us for a term like conflict. What are some of the connotations or what are some of the meanings that that you think of when you hear the word conflict? Just you can raise your hands and speak out loud. I'll I'll repeat. Yeah. Okay. So opposing strategies based on some trainings. Okay, what are some of the uh, ordinary connotations you have for conflict, please? Fight. Fighting, yeah. Win lose. Win lose, yeah. Violence. Violence, even, yeah. War. War. Stubbornness. Dominance. Stubbornness. Stubbornness. <laughs> what? Politics, Politics yeah. Yeah. Parenting. What? Parenting. Parenting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe one or two more. Anyone else? Marriage. Marriage. <laughs> okay. Control. Control. Life. Okay. Once we get into parenting and marriage, we can broaden it out some. <laughs> yeah. What one I didn't hear? At the end, anger. Yeah. So you can listen to these, and how many of those connotations are negative? probably three quarters at least, right? That there are a lot of uh, connotations that most of us have, unless we've maybe looked at it in a different way. The first comment was about the discipline of nonviolent communication, which does reframe conflict more as a difference between the underlying needs of different people, something like that. And so, but, but it's helpful to know that the, the normal connotations are quite negative. And, and in fact, the, the term conflict comes from the Latin conflictus and has to do with rubbing uh, together, sort of striking together. And that's the connotation. Some of the connotations of conflict actually have to do with battle, right? But we can also reframe the term conflict. And that's what I'm going to be doing more as the existence of a difference, as a difference between values, positions, needs, views, 
and so forth. And that's going to help us to reframe it. And we can go into ordinary situations. And it's very aligned with that first comment about nonviolent communication. It's reframing conflict a little more neutrally so that when we say, oh my gosh, I have a conflict, we don't immediately shut down or use one of our, our dominant strategies. And secondly, I want to also point to the way that there's very strong conditioning, not just about the connotations of conflict, but what are our approaches to conflict. The dominant approach to conflict is what? Avoidance. Right? It's to avoid conflict. And that was certainly my conditioning. You know, I mentioned last time how, you know, in my family situation, I think very kind, loving parents, but conflict was not out in the open generally. And as a kid, I mentioned it was very scary because conflicts were kind of suppressed and very, very occasionally there'd be an explosion, right? And as a kid, that was terrifying, right? My God, conflicts are about explosions, anger, lack of control, you know, and I better just uh, keep things under wraps, right? And that is probably, might be, how many, is that scenario familiar to anyone? Yeah, so a lot of people. How many people would say that your dominant conditioning was around conflict? Uh, to, I'm sorry, it was around being avoidant of conflict. Okay. And there's another uh, dominant conditioning, which is to sort of just jump into conflict. And it might be just to uh, sort of, uh, might call it acting out, just jumping into conflict without necessarily having much consciousness. And a lot of this is based in the cultural conditioning, in the family I mentioned last time, in terms of people of European ancestry, uh, generally Northern and Western Europe tend to avoid conflict, Southern and Eastern Europe tends to tend to act out conflict, <laughs> right? And again, you could go to different cultures and you'd find something um, parallel, right? And in some cultures, there's avoidance. You know, I, I sp have spent a fair amount of time in Thailand. Conflicts are not brought out into the open, but there's also when they come out, they can't tend to come out as explosions. This was actually a very high murder rate there, believe it or not. But, but on the surface, it doesn't come out, right? And so, again, different in different cultures. And another part of the uh, cultural conditioning around conflict that's really important to see clearly is a tendency for conflicts to be structured uh, in a win-lose way. I, I, I call that they're structured dualistically so that there's typically a winner and a loser, I mentioned last time how sports is a major metaphor for conflict. It's no surprise that, that politicians use sports metaphors, uh, generals use sports metaphors, because in sports there's a clear winner and loser typically. At least organized professional sports. When I was a kid, we played sports. We didn't care. Anyone relate to that? As a child playing different sports, we didn't care about winners and losers. We didn't keep score, really. <laughs> right? And how many had that experience as a child where it was more just play for the love of play? <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what my experience was. But in society, sports gets organized and winning and losing is very important. Uh, ties are really seen badly. In professional football, if you have a tie, what does it lead to? What's called a sudden death. <laughs> this influences our relation to conflict. <laughs> you have, you have, uh, you know, ties are really seen negatively, and if you have a tie, you very quickly go to sudden death. One party dies and one per party lives, right, and so forth. So this is, this is a, a strong part of the conditioning, you know, that we will approach conflicts in this dualistic way. And this is, of course, deeply related to the sense of I'm right, you're wrong. 
which is another way of structuring conflicts dualistically. Also, we can see in our films, in our television programs, in our media, the standard formula is to have a conflict in which there is good and bad, right? Good and evil. And if, uh, you know, the formula is by the end of the film, good has to win. If that doesn't happen, the film critics are, are, I just thought of a word I haven't used for five years, apoplectic. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning they, you know, they freak out, to use a word I've used more recently. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, we can see that, uh, that conflicts are so often structured in that way. This is the conditioning, right? We go, we go quickly to I'm right, the other party is wrong, often connected with anger and so forth. And that could be linked with the, the strategy of avoidance where I, I'm right, the other party's wrong, but I'm not going to deal with it. I just, uh, you know, I think I've mentioned sometimes that when I was exploring the judgmental mind, I found one of my main uh, forms of conditioning was if I thought that, uh, you know, if something happened, I would often judge negatively the other person and withdraw uh, emotionally to a place of what I call distanced moral superiority. Where I would avoid the conflict, but I would withdraw and I would uh, comfort myself by telling myself that I had the moral high ground and the other person uh, was a a moral uh, retrograde. (laughs) Or some version of that, right? Is this familiar? <laughs> I mean, I think humor is helpful because when you look at it, it's not always so pretty, right? Um, and so we have that kind of uh, conditioning very strong to structure conflicts dualistically and to, uh, again, and sometimes we may have the conditioning to structure them dualistically, but for us to blame ourselves. So we can, do, we can work in that way. And there are also some hybrids uh, when we approach conflict, one hybrid between uh, avoiding and acting out is called being passive-aggressive. It's a very creative strategy. <laughs> one gets to both avoid the conflict but, pre- but pretend that you're avoiding it by act- but actually not be avoiding it, right? At the same time, you get to act out without actually acting out. So it's a, it's a hybrid of avoiding and acting out, but not appearing to act out. So, very creative and um, somewhat destructive strategy. <laughs> right. So, so then we have the, the further tendency, which I mentioned last time, that in that, in that situation, with that conditioning, we would tend also to, much as I did in my example, I tend to project out the sense that the other person is wrong and I'm right, right? And I often project on negative qualities onto the other person, right? Often, even that I might actually have in myself. So when we're in conflicts, we tend to project onto the others a lot of negative features, right? And a lot of that comes out of our, comes out of our, our unconscious tendencies. And so, two, you know, three major resources for working with conflict in a skillful way. What I was suggesting last time is that our practices of mindfulness and all the qualities which we're developing in our meditation are very crucial while they're necessary but not sufficient for a skillful approach to conflict. And so simply being mindful of our conditioning, noticing it when it comes up, noticing the tendency to project, noticing the tendency to be judgmental is crucial. When I'm in a conflict, can I do that? And maybe even before going further with these inner qualities, maybe it's helpful just to name uh, different conflicts that occur to you. And here I think we can use the, the mic uh, and if you could help just for a moment, uh, Elizabeth, um, 
anyone be, think of a conflict, either an inner conflict or a small, you know, a, um, some kind of conflict that on a scale of one to ten is not at the, not at the nines or tens, but what's a minor kind of, or maybe what's a conflict that's sort of in the middle range that we can look at maybe as an example of a conflict? Anyone have one you can think of that you'd be willing to share? Again, it could be something like conflict. What should we paint? What color should we paint the house? Or should I should I stay in this rental? Yeah, please. And then see if you can be on the brief side. Yeah. Um, I am uh, leaving my office and. Um, I'm no longer on the lease, and so what's happening now is uh, things that as that I was entitled to on the lease, I'm no longer entitled to. So I'm noticing all of a sudden the office is not set up the way I had it set up. Uh, my name is no longer on the door. And each time I notice that, there's a part of me that goes, oh, I should say something, and then another yeah. part of me says, no, you know, it's a result of what you're doing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So a few things there. There could be uh, uh, you know, maybe two levels of conflict that I'm hearing. One is about the situation, maybe between the financial need to not have a lease, maybe have a little more freedom, and then the needs to have things more the way you, you like with... Uh, your name on the door and something set up a certain way. And then I also heard the conflict between should I, as it were, engage in the conflict, <laughs> right? Should I, should I speak about it or not? And we may have on either side, and this is very, very common, right? How many can, you know, how many have conflicts about whether to bring up a conflict? <laughs> That's a big one, right? Right? And what, you know, we can, again, we can see maybe on the one side, I might have a need for just being, having things be easy, be calm. And on the other hand, I might have a need to actually have the situation be a little bit better, right? Or resolve something. And again, this is where the conditioning around avoidance. So interesting, you know, part of my motivation here is to have us practice with our conflicts in the next two weeks, right? And we can look especially at that inner conflict. Should I even bring this up or not? That's an interesting one. And we, if we can frame that as an inner conflict, it can help us to work with the situation. Okay? So what's another example of a conflict? Yeah. My conflict is my neighbor. And my neighbor... Um, has a huge orchid greenhouse and to keep the the orchids alive he has to have a generator to to supply the air to the greenhouse and he keeps it in a little outbuilding that it keeps kicking in and out so you hear it all day long when it's warm at my house yeah (laughs) and then 30 seconds later. <laughs> so, so I'll call him and ask him, because all he has to do is close the door to this little outbuilding, and then it throttles it way back. So I'll call, and he'll say, well, I haven't heard you from you in a while. So would you please close your door? <laughs> I would be willing to go up and close it. He's an elderly man. Yeah. And so he will go out two hours later, close the door, and it's good for a week. And then it's all over again. Yeah, yeah. So my conflict is, should I be this uh, sensitive, intrusive neighbor, or should I suffer? <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, how many can relate to that conflict? Yeah, well, I mean, often, one of the, actually in the San Francisco Bay Area, one of the main places where skillful work with conflict is actually implemented in some locales is with neighbors. Right. Some of you know the there there are actually mediation boards. I know in San Francisco, I think in Sonoma County, and I'm not sure about the other counties. I think they also exist in many counties. And so uh differences with neighbors often come up. 
And uh, so thank you so much for that. And we could, we could hear some of the inner, work, the inner material. <laughs> and are you okay if I make uh, like one comment just about how you framed it? Okay, I, I wanted to ask first, because if you remember, the way you framed it initially was, my conflict is my neighbor. <laughs> it still is. It still is, right? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we could phrase that in different ways, but we want to we wanna look for how we phrase things, because the language is going to be indicative, right? So, um, very, very good example. So, what we'll, what we'll want to do is maybe with these examples, maybe we can come back at the end, maybe one more example and then uh, we can come back and uh, work with each of these three after we've brought out our some of our tools. Hi, I have many conflicts that I could name but I just wanted to make the comment that there is a mediation board in Marin. Yeah. I know it's in western Marin and maybe other places yeah. so if anyone needs it. It's free and uh, they're very, very good. You can go more than once for a problem. Great. And anyone willing, thank you uh, very much. Anyone willing to name uh, one more conflict? Okay. Hi. Um, last week I had a conflict. With Close my, up. I had a conflict with my daughter. Yeah. Or she had one with me. And uh, said some really very hurtful things. Yeah. And I was got off the phone and was very upset. Fortunately, my son was visiting me from uh, Southern California, so he kind of took over. But And he called her, and he called her on what she said. And he said to her, you know, um, you need to resolve this, and you need to resolve it today. And she called me and apologized, which I accepted, um, but I've always said to my children, because I've always done this, if there is a conflict with somebody, face it right away, yeah. clear the air, and if you can do it in person, face-to-face, do mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's just the way I've always handled things. I, I just like to clear the air. Great. Thank you. Great. So here... Um here an interpersonal conflict, some things said that were uh, that were felt as hurtful, right? And then uh, a way to work with it. But let well, let's name the conflict though more as uh, before going to the resolution. We'll come back to that. So, thank you, thank you for being willing to name those. That sounds both uh, painful, but I, I also can hear some relief that it moved fairly quickly, right, to some kind of seemingly skillful way of working with it. So, and you might bear in mind as we proceed, what's a conflict more in the middle range and scale of one to 10 in terms of difficulty? What's a conflict that maybe is at a four or five or six, possibly a seven in your own mind? And just think, just bring that conflict to mind right now. Again, can be an inner conflict, interpersonal conflict, maybe something in your organization or community. Bring to mind, what are some of your inner experiences in this conflict? What emotions do you have? What are some of your thoughts or views? Are there ways sometimes that your body is influenced or affected, that there's a physiological effect to the conflict? That's hard. When you've had this conflict, what have been some of the ways you've acted 
that have been skillful. What have been some of the ways that you've acted that have been unskillful, if any? So I'll mention three areas of resources for being skillful with conflict. Um, And I'll focus on uh, the third today. The third is is the model, is a model of how to approach conflicts more with the aspiration to meet the needs of all concerns as much as possible. We sometimes call that a win-win model for working with conflict. So the first area is that of skillful inner work The second area is that of what I would call interpersonal heart practices like empathy and compassion. And the third area is is working with this model of, we could call it the win-win model for resolving or transforming conflicts, okay? So I'll primarily focus on the third, then we'll come back to the conflicts we've mentioned. So the first area, we again, could be a a six-month curriculum and we could focus on all of them. I mentioned these last time and started to um, speak about the inner capacities, being mindful is crucial as a starting point. Noticing my conditioning, noticing my thoughts when there's a conflict, and I say, oh, I think I'm not going to go there. Or even noticing when there's an inner conflict and just noticing that it's there. Again, our conditioning goes towards unconsciousness, towards having things be automatic. Mindfulness is a key way to see what our conditioning is and not be dominated by it. And it's not easy, right? Because when we feel unsafe or we get triggered in certain ways, we very quickly go to our automatic reactions. We know that, right? And so mindfulness is something we can work with, especially where the stakes don't seem as high. And then we gradually bring it into harder situations. So mindfulness of what we're experiencing, mindfulness of our emotions, skillful ways to work with anger, skillful ways to work with sadness or anxiety or uh, fear. Again, each of these uh, we could take a whole session with, right? How to, how to work with that. So I'm giving sort of a, a placeholder, you know, and again, if we were doing that eight-month curriculum, we would take a week or a month on uh, working with anger, working with fear or anxiety, working with confusion, working with being judgmental. You you can come at the end of September for that if you haven't resolved things by then. Um, Or it could be sadness, right? They're they're different emotions, you know. Sometimes, uh, you know, I've been involved in a, uh, a conflict that's been hard in the last few months and I've noticed that there's a certain amount of sadness there just from that this is not resolved, right? There can be sadness and just to how to work with these so that we're mindful of them so that they don't sort of take over in unconscious ways. And so tremendous value of having these inner resources. And as we are mindful of these challenging emotions, we can also increasingly be more balanced with them. If I've really studied anger, I cannot be just knocked off center by anger, but I can say, oh, there's anger. Let me be mindful of it. Here's a skillful response. Oh, and I, or I can also, one of the other tools is really to investigate anger. I feel a lot of anger. Can I be with it? One of the ways we can work with conflicts is when there's strong emotions, let me take a time out, explore, notice what's there, and often we can actually feel the emotions, hang out with them for some time, see sometimes what's 
beneath them. There might be a view beneath anger. Often beneath anger is sadness, you know, that this is happening, right? And we can actually go sometimes beneath the emotions if we stay with them enough and see what they're about, see what the message is that they're telling us. Could be, you know, the anger when we go a little more deeply could be that, oh, one of my values has been violated. That's very important to me. Or it could be that, uh, you know, um, a certain important need isn't being met. You know, could be, could be that. So we can really work with uh, these. And again, this could be, uh, maybe maybe we'll do it in the future. I'll see where we are. Um, could be a whole area of practice. Um, sometimes what happens when we have the difficult emotions with conflicts is that a very old uh, limiting belief gets gets surfaced, right? I may have a conflict and it might lead to some kind of strong self-judgment or judgment of the other. I might have a, a, you know, it might come with the view, I'm messing up again, you know, could could lead to uh, a very old self-judgment that's there. And so this, in this way, when we actually explore conflicts, there's a tremendous uh, 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 potential for inner discovery. The, what I'm going to be suggesting is that framed, especially framed together with others, in a certain way, conflicts can be tremendous opportunity for lurth, for lurth and groaning. <laughs> Rewind a little bit. <laughs> That's the way it started to come out, so I just thought I'd continue. <laughs> so growth and learning. Okay. But maybe that was my unconscious saying, are you really sure you're <laughs> that there's growth and learning in, in conflict and not lurth and groaning? <laughs> okay. I think I've never said before, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Are you interested in lurth and groaning? <laughs> anyway. Um, so, tremendous potential there when we approach conflicts for there to be individual learning and for there to be interpersonal learning. You know, probably many of us have had the experience where we had an interpersonal conflict and we simply named what was happening with the other in a non-blaming way, just said, this was my experience of what happened. And we had a framework where we could do that. And my experience is that it was tremendously healing just to hear the other person's experience. It's almost like to, like the French phrase, to understand is to forgive. Unless we're really, really defended. If we can actually hear the other person, it, of, it often leads to understanding and some letting go. And if that happens mutually, it deepens the relationship. We learn about skillful ways to work with conflict. And we're, the relationship is deeper. My knowledge is deeper. That's what we're pointing to. And what I'm suggesting is that can happen individually, interpersonally, in communities, and in the world. But we need the right approach. which we And ultimately, a lot of this is going to be based on having Approaches like this just be part of the education in cultures around the world. You know, to build what we might call a conflict transformation culture. That's the vision. And we have, obviously, a ways to go, right? But it's happening in a, in a lot of schools. How many of you had some conflict transformation work in your schooling? Okay, well... <laughs> two hands... Went up, but but I have some students who are doing it in middle schools, right? And it's happening. It's happening some. So a second whole area, which we've sometimes touched on, is opening up to empathy towards oneself and or another when there's a conflict. That ability to listen and have the wish to understand the other, rather than be in this dualistic stance, right? And that's a whole area. I just want to name that it's so crucial. Peacemakers need people skillful 
with conflict have to have that training in empathy and to be empathic towards themselves, to be empathic towards others, to be interested in hearing what the needs are of all parties concerned and to have that as a strong intention. And I think maybe I'll, maybe I'll come back to that in two weeks. I'm feeling that maybe two weeks on conflict is not quite enough. Okay. I'll, get a, I'll get a poll at the end. Okay. Um, and the, the third area I wanted to mention, especially for today, and then we'll come back to the conflicts, is developing an approach to conflict in which the aspiration is to meet the needs of all parties concerned as much as possible. And we can call this uh, a both-and approach to conflict, a win-win model. Um, and I'll give you one example of this approach. There, there are different examples. And this comes from, uh, my. I learned this especially from a man named Johann Galtung, who's 90 years old now. He was actually the founder of peace studies at an academic level and has done quite a bit of international work, wrote a manual for the UN on conflict transformation by peaceful means, which you, I have the link at the bottom in the title. You can actually find that on the web. And amazing stories. It was amazing. I did a series of trainings with him, which were quite, was quite amazing. And he has one version, another prominent version of this win-win model has been put out by what's called the Harvard Negotiation Project. And it comes through books like Getting to Yes, Another book is called Difficult Conversations. And it's a very simple model of moving away from dualistically structured conflicts, win-lose models, and having as one general approach, whether it's an inner conflict, an interpersonal conflict, or a larger conflict, to have the win-win model guide one. So what's that model? So again, we can. This, I did a handout so you could have the visual, because the visual is helpful. And here we see the visual that most conflicts, at least initially, for the reasons I've given, are structured dualistically. Um, And this is uh, point number two. They're structured so that there's like a grid here with uh, one axis we can call A, the other axis B. The the conflict is structured so that it's either, uh, either one side wins or the other side wins. One person wins in the examples that we were looking at. Uh, It could be the conflict could appear. uh, The last example in the family context is one person gets, we'll say, gets her way, or the other person gets her way, something like that, or uh, that there's not an interest really in um, approaching or understanding the needs of both parties. Or it could be in the conflict with the neighbor. Uh, fairly easy to see. It appears as one neighbor's needs win, as it were. The other neighbor's needs don't win. So that would appear as um, the generator keeps occurring <clears throat> with no respite. One person's needs for are met, the other person's needs are not met. And maybe in our first example with the lease, uh, we can see this dualistically structured as either I meet certain needs with the lease or I don't, right? That would be, so what's very helpful is to take your conflict and see if you can structure it and understand it as between two views or two sides or two needs or two values and see if you can actually understand it as a dualistically structured conflict. Should I paint the house this color or that color? It appears as a dualism, and often the reason that that occurs is because conflicts get framed often in terms of positions or views rather than attend to the underlying needs. And so my position might be, I want to paint the house purple. When I was an undergraduate and I first had the chance to paint my own space, I painted my dorm room purple. So that's probably why the example's coming up. (laughs) Okay, any case, you know, so the position can be about the color painted, but that may not relate to the underlying need 
what might be my underlying need if I want to paint the paint my room purple? What? Self-expression. Could be self-expression. Non-conformity. Non-conformity independence. Autonomy. Those would probably those would be when we're doing conflict work. We want to get to that level. Then, because the distinction between the position, the, if we stay at the level of positions, which is where a lot of conflicts stay, we don't get there. So we want to distinguish ultimately between the position and the underlying need. Very crucial. So we'll go a little further here. And one way that we work with uh, conflicts is that we can uh, try to see if there are any alternatives <clears throat> to the win-lose model. And one of the contributions that I got from Galtung is to see that we can't, in many situations, immediately get to the win-win model, where we meet the needs of all parties, or we meet the needs, uh, maybe of uh, you know of both of both sides of my inner conflict. Right? That sometimes it's actually skillful to go to avoidance of a conflict. You know, when we have a difficulty between two people. We often need a cooling out period. That is skillful. It actually sometimes it would not be skillful to try to press the con- press the uh, communication so that we very quickly get some resolution. A lot of lot of nuances to that, but sometimes it's skillful to go to avoidance. That's symbolized by D. Sometimes that is skillful. Some conflicts we don't want to deal with immediately, and that can be okay and often quite skillful. Sometimes not skillful. In other kinds of conflicts, it can be the best that we can do to come to a compromise where my needs and your needs are not met fully, but they're met to some extent. That can be the best situation. And of course, sometimes we go to compromises too easily or too quickly. And then E is sort of the north star here. That would be, can I get to the... Uh, can I get to the both end resolution? So let's look at the situations that we brought up. The first one was the situation of, a, of the lease. And, I, and first thing is, how do we frame that in terms of this model? Right? And can we frame it in terms of certain needs for... Uh, I, I, I tended to frame it in terms of, on the one hand, there's a need for less financial... Commitment, is that fair? Yeah. And on the other hand, meeting certain needs for, um, you know, that were there when I had the lease, such as my name being there and certain ways that to set it up. So what, what would we call that? Could we say practical supports? Yeah. yeah. So we, here we have, here it's helpful to frame the A axis as, uh, you know, uh, financial, how should we say it, uh, um, financial wisdom. And on the other hand, practical supports. At first it appears like a conflict where you have to choose between the two. So what we'd be looking for is there a way that we can move towards E? Is there a way we can meet toward, uh, both of those needs? And framing it like that can help us to do that, right? Framing it like that can help us. If we, just, uh, if we don't do that, it's harder to actually know even what E looks like. So framing what A is, framing what B is, and then uh, often, you know, when I studied with Galton, he said what uh, people who are working with conflict especially need is creativity. Right? It's like, okay, what might work? You know, what might work in this situation? And we can use creativity. So if we look at the uh, second situation with the neighbor, we can see very easily, and I framed it before, what A versus B looks like, right? It's, um, uh, it could appear simply as he meets his needs without even relating to me, or, uh, you know, I meet my needs by having the generator off, right? And uh, 
his needs for having the generator on, as you mentioned, this is where the creativity comes in. You're already seeing a way for it to work because you, you know that ultimately his needs, which are ultimately about the, you know, about the orchids, was it? Uh, the health of the orchids can ultimately be met along with your peace and quiet, right? But then we have to start looking, are there other needs of his, like maybe ease, fewer communications with the neighbor, <laughs> you know, some ease there maybe. But we, you know, that would be a pointer. We, we can be, is there a creative way? Uh, and so just getting a sense of what his needs are and your needs are can help you go towards that both end, you know, to see if that's possible. And it's not always possible. And I'll just mention the last one, then we can open things up. And we can actually see, we'll ask at the end, is there some both-end resolution or um, way of moving towards it? Because one thing I learned from Galtung, he said, the North Star is the both-end resolution, but what we especially want to do is engage in what he called the kind of the peace diagonal, which goes from D to E. In other words, anything that moves us towards the both-end is helpful even if it's avoidance or compromise, okay? And sometimes we can't get to full meeting of both needs. And then the last one, we had two different, uh, you know, perspectives, which had some, some uh, heated qualities to the conversation, two different views, and, uh, you know, how do we work with that, right? And here we actually had the benefit of a mediator who helped to work with it. So... Uh, let me stop here and then invite any questions and will or anyone want to try to resolve those conflicts <laughs> or your own. Okay. Uh, Anne and then up front. Yeah. Um, regarding the neighbor situation, I wonder if Marianne... A little closer to your mouth. Yeah. I wonder if Marianne could contact the neighbor and say, I know we want your flowers to flourish and also my peace of mind. I wonder if you would allow me to come close your door in case it wouldn't be closed so that both uh, goals could be achieved. Yeah, so let's look. How do, you, how do you like that? You know, So what we're having here, and we'll get a response from Marianne, but not, not immediately. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let's look at that. What do you think of that, uh, that suggestion? It has, the, it has the merits of going right away to empathy, right? And showing empathically, I understand your needs, right? And it also seems to go towards a win-win model, right? Uh, but especially, it's, it names the needs. And again, this is more what we would look at next time in terms of empathic communication. But it names my need, which might not have been done and it does so in a way which maybe the other person maybe can hear well and then also shows recognition of the others the others need maybe we go to Marianne what do you something um i loved Anne's suggestion about specifically mentioning my need and his need yeah um but i did offer to go up there at any time and close the door. Yeah. And he does not, he doesn't want any contact with neighbors. Oh, no, 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 I'll do it. And he does it once or twice and then doesn't do it again. Yeah. So I think now that there's a tree that up there in his property that's dead, I can also call and say, um, I'm concerned about the tree for fire danger and bring up the fact that, again, what Anne had mentioned about the empathy, that I know he needs to um, keep the generator going for the orchids, which I'm not even sure are orchids. They could be, mar- it could be marijuana. I don't know <laughs> what's growing up there. It's yeah, huge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I could just express my needs for peace and quiet when I'm, when I'm in the yard and reading and concentrating on something. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm tempted. We, have, we don't have so much time. I'm tempted to do a role play in which I would play you and you would play your neighbor. Should we do that just for a moment? <clears throat> okay, um, okay. So I'm going to play you okay. and you're going to play your neighbor. Okay. Okay, you ready? Okay. Okay, get into the role. Okay, and... 
you know, hi, how are you doing? Oh, haven't heard you for from you for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's actually it's nice to see you. Yeah, how are the orchids doing? They're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would would you be willing to show them to me some? Um. Well, I'd um, love to see them. Well, um, I asked that before. Uh, um, it's not a good time right now. Not a good time, but... We're having guests. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I totally understand. I really, yeah, I wouldn't want to barge in. But, you know, at the time when it works for you, I, I, would it be possible to see your orchids? Yeah, I'll think about it. I'll talk to Cheryl about it. That'd be great. I, <laughs> I, I love orchids. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So, maybe time out. So, see, what... What I found myself drawn to is actually establishing more connection and empathy, even before going into stuff which could be a little bit charged. Uh-huh. That's what I found myself sort of called to do. So, and actually maybe even considering that this could be several conversations, uh-huh. not just one. That the connection could be there and that you know, possibly some of those... Some of those um, you know, to maybe see your relation with your neighbors long-term. Well, he's an elderly man, so I hope everything's mean, pretty really elderly. <laughs> he doesn't move too fast. <laughs> okay. I'm bad. <laughs> okay, we always want to come back to empathy <laughs> and compassion. Okay, so maybe, okay, maybe up front, yeah. Okay. I had one person up front first, yeah. Yeah, up front, and then you'd be next. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so I, I I love solutions. So I'd love to get to that. But real quick, yeah. Um, rewinding quite a bit, you had us. I think it was the order was um, identify the emotions that we're having about both sides of the conflict first, or just what the emotions are. Yeah. 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 And then our views and thoughts about yeah. it. Yeah. And then kind of what actions have been skillful and then which have been unskillful? Oh, yeah, I was trying to uh, get a live sense of what the conflict was, yeah, yeah. in terms of just uh, seeing what's there. Yeah. Did, I, did I leave anything out? Uh, the, the way it might affect the body. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because for the inner states, uh, I was pointing to different tools we have. There's more. That was more just to get a sense of what the experience is. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then... For the neighbor one is everyone's favorite. <laughs> um, I, I, I noticed I jumped into tactical solutions right away, which it, and, and rather than like figure out how to communicate it, but we can work with that. Um, one is some sort of automatic, whether it's a spring or something, something that the door closes automatically, um, suggesting that as a solution. Then he avoids communication with you. <laughs> he gets his needs met. Um, and another is, it doesn't sound like it probably requires a lot of energy, so there might be a solar plus battery <laughs> solution instead of a yeah. generator. Great. So you see the creativity? Right? Yeah. I mean, we could, we could stay for one more hour and, and get the creativity of the whole group. But I think, I think the... Um, so, so there's both, I think I, in, when I did the role-playing, I found myself going more towards the dimension of connection, which is really, really crucial, even before, I mean, you can in your own mind have some sense of what you were calling tactical solutions, but the, often the, there has to be the willingness to communicate or the willingness to connect, and sometimes in a relationship where there's a conflict, that could be the main emphasis for a while. And that's some, I didn't bring that out so much, but it came out in the example that we may want to actually put a lot of our energy into connecting. You know, I was thinking of uh, numerous, you know, I was thinking of the uh, Oslo peace process, which ultimately was not successful for different reasons, but a large part of that process was actually having more human connections between people, this was the Israelis and the Palestinians, who had formerly uh, just been advocating at the level of positions, and they actually had chance to meet at a more human level and get to know the people. And that could make, that could make a huge difference, right, in conflicts, just to go beyond simply the position, the view, 
the difficult emotions and have that soften some through ordinary connection. That's invaluable and it could be for some conflicts, that could be really an important strategy for some time. And so it can be a problem to go too quickly to the both end. Right? Yeah. Thing that I did um, yeah. early on a couple of years ago is I invited them down for wine and appetizers. That's great. And they didn't come. He said, I'll choke with my wife. And then yeah. I called again a month later, and she answered, I'll choke with my husband. Yeah. And that was the end. Yeah, so, yeah. And I've had other neighbors say they just don't want to do that, that may That may so, be the case. So it, it may be, you may look for more modest ways of connecting. Yeah, or you might try again. Yeah. But yeah, um, maybe maybe one more comment, and we're, we'll finish in terms of time. Well, I won't comment too much on the issue, but um, I don't know if there are other neighbors who you could band together with and kind of say, "Oh, they're too far away." Okay, and and Donald, one of the things I noticed that's not on. The, the list here is yeah. in, in conflict situations where people get really defensive. Yeah. And I just, at that point, I just find myself backing away from the yeah. issue. Yeah. The defensiveness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that that when, there's, uh, when there's a large amount of defensiveness, that means there's some fear or anxiety. And, uh, yeah, then it can be skillful to back off some. That could be a time when the cooling off or the what I'm calling, uh, you know, sort of like a ceasefire could be very skillful. Yeah. Was there, there's an urgent, yeah. Yeah. When I was was having a problem with a neighbor and they were parking in front of my house and I didn't want them to and I didn't really know them very well, uh, a friend of mine came over and I said, oh, geez, I don't know what to do about this. They're, you know, they're parking right in the wrong place. He goes, he didn't even address anything. He said, oh, take her some cookies. That was it. I said, and? He said, that's it. So, you know, that's that, that's that where you were going, that, yeah. that empathy and connection before you come to the issue. Yeah, empathy and connection, particularly if that doesn't exist in a certain way. So that can be... How many would like to continue with the theme of working with conflict zone? How many are ready to move on? <laughs> How many have a conflict with continuing with conflict? <laughs> okay. Well, I'll take that. I wasn't sure what I'd be doing, but I, uh, you know, it's, it's a theme which is very crucial. And it's also very crucial in Buddhist communities. Buddhist communities aren't always very good on conflict. Partly because people are, are, are nice. More, maybe more on that next time. Okay, so the invitation is to bring what was useful here. Remember, I'm kind of summarized three areas of resource. First, the inner work that we do when there's a conflict, which you can do on your own, on your own time, looking into the emotions, the thoughts, noticing where there are fixed views, being with the process, uh, having some curiosity knowing that we can actually learn deep things about ourselves if we go deeper in an inner way, number one. Number two, which I didn't, we didn't go into very much, would be more of that empathy, connection, compassion as a key aspect in working with conflict. And we, that came out more in the discussion. Then the third was using this model of, it's really a kind of uh, analysis of seeing conflict in terms of A versus B and framing it like that, which can take some reflection, one need versus another, and, or, and, and seeing it like that and then working with this model to move towards the both-end resolution. So that, that's a little more analytical. And so see what you're drawn to in terms of bringing this into your own experience in the next... Uh, Let's say two weeks is when I, I come back in two weeks. Or it could just be the next week. How might you bring these resources into your own experience? And 
And what's going to help you remember to do this in the next week, let's say? So we close by inviting the benefit from our time together to be there for each of us, be there for people in our lives, and also be there for beings beyond our own circles so that we ultimately invite the benefits for, from our time together to be offered to all beings, which includes us. May there be much growth and learning (laughs) and less groaning. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Okay, to be continued. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.